Hello, and welcome to The Essential Reads. My name is Isaac, and my goal is to bring you a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. We're continuing with Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, and we're on to chapter 12, and the boys are on the run. So, let's dive in. Support the show, like, subscribe, and do all the, do all the things that help me um, get through each day. <laughs> it's been a rough week, guys. Oh, dear. Let's begin. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn was written in a time when terrible slurs and actions were used to oppress the African-American people. These words and actions still cause harm today, and I, Isaac, would never wish to do so to any of these people. Any racial slurs that occur in this book shall be bleeped to avoid causing offence, and to guarantee that I can get paid for making these videos. I do have a belief that you cannot censor the past, and that by trying to censor books, you are trying to pretend that the actions of our ancestors didn't happen. And for this reason, the book shall be remaining unchanged apart from these little bleeps. If you still find this triggering or offensive, then please check out another book. Huckleberry Finn By Mark Twain Chapter 12 It must have been close to one o'clock when we got below the island at last, and the raft did seem to go mighty slow. If a boat was going to come along, we was going to take the canoe and break for the Illinois shore, and it was well that a boat didn't come, for he had never thought to put the gun in the canoe, or fishing line, or anything to eat. We was in rather too much a sweat to think about so many things. It weren't good judgment to put everything on the raft. If the men went to the island, I just expect they found my campfire I built, and watched it all night for Jim to come. Anyways, they stayed away from us, and if my building the fire never fooled them, it weren't no fault of mine. I played it as low down on them as I could. When the first streak of day begun to show, we tied up to a towhead with a big bend on the Illinois side, and hacked off cottonwood branches with the hatchet, and covered up the raft with them, so she looked like there had been a cave-in in the bank there. A towhead is a sandbar that has cottonwood on it, as thick as hair teeth. We had the mountains on the Missouri shore, and heavy timber on the Illinois side, and the channel was down the Missouri shore at that place, so I weren't afraid of anybody running across us. We laid there all day and watched rafts and steamboats spin down the Missouri shore, and upbound steamboats fight the big river in the middle. I told Jim about the time I had jabbering with that woman, and Jim said she was a smart one, and if she was to start after us, she wouldn't sit down and watch a campfire. No, sir. She'd fetch a dog. Well, then I said, why couldn't she tell her husband to fetch a dog? And Jim said he bet she did think of it by the time the men was ready to start, and believed they must have gone to town to get a dog, so they lost all that time, or else we wouldn't be here on a towhead 16 or 17 miles below the village. No, indeedy. We would be in that same old town again. So I said I didn't care what was the reason they didn't get us, as long as they didn't. When it was beginning to come on dark, we poked our heads out of the cottonwood thicket and looked up and down and across. Nothing in sight. So Jim took some of the top planks of the raft and did a snug wing-wham to get under in blazing weather and rainy and to keep the things dry. Jim made a floor for the wing-wham and raised it a foot or more above the level of the raft so now the blankets and traps was all out of reach of steamboat waves. Right in the middle of the wing-wham, we made a layer of dirt about five or six inches deep with a frame around it to hold its place. This was to build a fire on in sloppy weather or chilly. The wigwam would keep it from being seen. We made an extra steering oar, too, because the other one might get broke on a snag or something. We fixed up a short forked stick to hang the lantern on, because we must always light the lantern whenever we see a steamboat coming downstream to keep from getting run over. But we wouldn't have to light it for upstream boats. 
unless we was in what they call a crossing, for the river was pretty high yet, very low banks still being a little underwater. So upbound boats didn't always run the channel, but hunted easy water. This second night, we run between seven and eight hours with a current that was making over four mile an hour. We cached fish and talked and took a swim now and then to keep off the sleepiness. It was kind of solemn, drifting down that big, still river, laying on our backs, looking up at the stars. And we didn't ever feel like talking out loud. And it weren't often that we laughed. Only a little kind of low chuckle. We had mighty good weather as a general thing, and nothing ever happened to us at all that night, nor the next, nor the next. Every night we passed towns, some of them away up on black hillsides and nothing but shiny beds of lights, not a house you could see. The fifth night we passed St. Louis, and it was like the whole world lit up. In St. Petersburg, they used to say there was 20, 30,000 people in St. Louis, but I never believed it till I see that wonderful spread of lights at two o'clock that still night. There weren't a sound there. Everybody was asleep. Every night now, I used to slip ashore towards 10 o'clock at some little village and buy 10 or 15 cents worth of meal or bacon or other stuff to eat. And sometimes I lifted a chicken that weren't roosting comfortable and took him along. Pap always said, take a chicken when you get a chance. Because if you don't want him for yourself, you can easily find somebody that does. And a good deed ain't ever forgot. I never see Pat when he didn't want the chicken himself, but that's what he used to say, anyway. Morning, before daylights, I slipped into a cornfield and borrowed watermelon or mushmelon or pumpkin or some new corn or, or things of that kind. Pap always said it weren't no harm to borrow things if you was meaning to pay them back sometime but the widow said it weren't anything but a soft name for stealing, and no decent body would do it. Jim said he reckoned the widow was partly right and Pat was partly right, so the best way would be for us to pick out two or three things from the list and say we wouldn't borrow them anymore. Then, he reckoned, it wouldn't be no harm to borrow the others. So we talked it over all night, drifting along down the river, trying to make up our minds whether to drop the watermelons or the cantaloupes, or the mushmelons, or what. But towards daylight, we got it all settled satisfactory and concluded to drop crab apples and persimmons. We weren't feeling just right before that, but it was comfortable now. I was glad the way it came out, too, because crab apples ain't ever good, and the persimmons wouldn't be right for two, three months yet. We shot a waterfowl now and then that got up too early in the morning or didn't go to bed early enough in the evening. Take it all around, we lived pretty high. The fifth night below St. Louis, we had a big storm after midnight with a power of thunder and lightning and the rain poured down in a solid sheet. We stayed in the wigwam and let the raft take care of itself. When the lightning glared out, we could see a big, straight river ahead and high rocky bluffs on both sides. By and by, I says, Hello, Jim! Look yonder! It was a steamboat that had killed herself on a rock. We was drifting straight down for her. The lightning showed her very distinct. She was leaning over with part of her upper deck above water, and you could see every little chimbly guy, clean and clear, and a chair by the big bell with an old slouch hat hanging on the back of it when the flashes come. Well, it being away in the night and stormy and also mysterious-like, I felt just the way any other boy would have felt when they see that wreck laying there so mournful and lonesome in the middle of the river. I wanted to get on board of her, and slink around and see what there was. So I says, 
Let's land on her, Jim. But Jim was dead against it. At first, he says, I don't want to go fooling along no wreck. We's doing blame well, and we better let blame well alone, as the good book says. Not like there's a watchman on that wreck. Watchman your grandmother, I says. There ain't nothing to watch but the Texas and the pilot house. And you reckon anybody's gonna risk his life for a Texas and a pilot house such a night as this, when it's likely to break up and wash off down the river any minute? Jim couldn't say nothing to that, so he didn't try. We might borrow something worth having out of the captain's storeroom. See gars, I bet you. And cost five cents a piece solid cash. Steamboat captain always rich. Gets $60 a month. I don't care a cent what anything costs, you know, as long as they want it. Stick a candle in your pocket. I can't rest, Jim, till we give her a rummaging. You reckon Tom Sawyer would ever go buy this thing? Not for pie, he wouldn't. He'd call it an adventure. That's what he'd call it. And he'd land on that wreck if it was his last act. And wouldn't he throw style into it? Wouldn't he spread himself nor nothing? Why, you'd think it was Christopher Columbus discovering kingdom come. I wish Tom Sawyer was here. Jim grumbled a little, but give in. He said we mustn't talk any more than we could help. And then, mighty low. The lightning showed us the wreck again, just in time. And we fetched the stabber Derrick and made fast there. The deck was high out here. We went sneaking down the slope of it to labor in the dark toward the Texas, feeling our way out with our feet and spreading our hands out to fend off the guys, for it was so dark we couldn't see no sign of them. Pretty soon, we struck the forward end of the skylight and clumb onto it, and the next step fetched us in front of the captain's door, which was open. And by Jiminy, away down through the Texas hole, we see a light, and all in the same second, we seemed to hear low voices in yonder. Jim whispered that he was feeling powerful sick and told me to come along. I says, all right, and was going to start for the raft. But just then I heard a voice wail out and say, Oh, please don't, boys. I swear I won't ever tell. Another voice said, pretty loud, That's a lie, Jim Turner. You've acted this way before. You always want more than your share of the truck, and you've always got it, too because you'd swore if you didn't, you'd tell. But this time, you said it just one too many. You're the meanest, treacherousest hand in this country. By this time, Jim was gone for the raft, and I was just a-biling with curiosity. So I says to myself, Tom Sawyer wouldn't back out now. And so I won't either. I'm a-going to see what's going on in here. So I dropped on my hands and knees, in the little passage, and crept after in the dark, till there weren't but one stateroom betwixt me and the cross hall of the Texas. Then, in there, I see a man stretched on the floor and tied hand and foot, and two men standing over him, and one of them had a dim lantern in his hand, and the other one a pistol. This one kept pointing the pistol at the man's head on the floor and saying, I'd like to. I ought to, mean skunk. Oh, please don't, Bill. I ain't ever gonna tell. And every time he said that, the man with the lantern would laugh and say, Deed you ain't. You ain't never said no truer thing than that, you bet. And once he said, Hear him beg. And yet if we hadn't got the best of him and tied him up, he'd have killed us both. And what for? Just for nothing. 
Just because we stood on all rights. That's what for. But I lay you ain't gonna threaten nobody no more, Jim Turner. Put up that pistol, Bill. Bill says, I don't want to, Jake Packard. I'm for killing him. And didn't he kill old Hatfield just the same way? And don't he deserve it? But I don't want him killed. And I've got my reasons for it. Oh, please don't do it, boys. I swear I won't ever tell. Bless your heart for them words, Jake Packard. I'll never forget you long as I live, says the man on the floor, sort of blubbering. Packard didn't take no notice of that, but he hung up his lantern on a nail and started towards where I was in the dark and motioned Bill to come. I crawfished as fast as I could, about two yards, but the boat slanted so I couldn't make very good time. So to keep from getting run over and cashed, I crawled into a state room on the upper side. The man come a-pouring along in the dark, and when Packard got to my state room, he says, Here, come in here. And in he came, and Bill after him. But before they got in, I was up in the upper berth, cornered, and so sorry I came. Then they stood there, with their hands on the ledge of the berth, and talked. I couldn't see them, but I could tell where they was by the whiskey they'd been having. I was glad I didn't drink whiskey, but it wouldn't have made much difference anyways, because most of the time they couldn't have treated me because I didn't breathe. I was too scared. And besides, a body couldn't breathe and hear such talk. They talked low and earnest. Bill wanted to kill Turner. He says, He said he'll tell, and he will. If we was to give both our shares to him now, it wouldn't make no difference after the row. And the way we served him. Sure as you're born, he'll turn state's evidence. Now you hear me? I'm for putting him out of his troubles. So am I, says Packard, very quiet. Blame it, I sort of begun to think you wasn't. Well then, that's all right. Let's go and do it. Hold on a minute. I ain't had my say yet. You listen to me. Shooting's good, but there's a quieter way if the thing's got to be done. What I say is this. It ain't good sense to go courting around after a halter if you can get at what you're up to in some ways that's just as good and at the same time don't bring you into no risks. Ain't that so? You bet it is. But how you gonna manage it this time? Well, my idea is this. We'll rustle around and gather up whatever pickings we overlooked in the staterooms and shove for sure and hide the truck. And then, we'll wait. Now, I say it ain't gonna be more than two hours before this wreck breaks up and washes off down the river. See? He'll be drowned. One of nobody to blame for him but his own self. I reckon that's a considerable sight better than killing him. I'm all favorable to killing a man as long as you can get around it. It ain't good sense. It ain't good morals. Ain't I right? <sighs> yes. I reckon you are, but suppose she don't break up and wash off. Well, we can't wait two hours anyway and see, can't we? All right, then. Come along. And so they started, and I lit out all in a cold sweat and scrambled forward. It was dark as pitch there, but I said in a kind of coarse whisper, Jim, and he answered up right at my elbow with a sort of moan. And I says, Quick, Jim, it ain't no time fooling around and moaning. There's a gang of murderers in yonder, 
And if we don't hunt up their boat instead of drifting down the river, these fellas can't get away from the wreck. Is one of them going to be in bad fix? But if we find their boat, we can put all of them in bad fix for the sheriff to get them. Quick, hurry. I'll hunt the larboard side, you hunt the starboard side. You start at the raft and... Oh, my lordy lord raft. There ain't no raft no more. She done broke loose and gone. And here we is. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe or join the channel to support me and do all the wonderful things that I can do for you here. And if you're listening on podcast, please um, share the show, write a review. Your reviews are really nice. I'm, they make me feel really good inside, which is beneficial during dark periods of my life. Um, they're very beneficial. Thank you very much for all of them. Um, if you want to support the show as well, there's a link in the description box there, and you can click that, and it is like a, here, Isaac, have some cash. I like what you do, and you need to pay rent and things like that, which would be nice. Um, yeah. The boys are in a bit of trouble. Uh, the accents are hard to understand there, especially um, uh, Jim sort of towards the end. But they've broken onto this boat. There's a troop of gang members or murderers, whatnot, and they can't escape because their raft has, in the storm, broken off from the bigger steamship. So now they're stuck on this steamship with three murderers and seemingly have no way of getting off. So, let's see how this concludes, hopefully, in the next chapter in a couple of days. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.